The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon and welcome or welcome back to the only democracy in talk. Tamara Lefkowitz is our guest, international coordinator for the USW Healthcare Workers Council. She provides support to the union's more than 50,000 healthcare workers across the United States and Canada. She got her start as a community organizer in 2006, investigating police misconduct with the city of Pittsburgh Citizen Police Review Board. And in 2009, she began working with organized labor, advocating for healthcare workers. She now proudly bargains contracts, trains activists, and organizes workers to advocate for themselves, their patients, and our community. I want you to check out the USW website as well, www.usw.org. Their handle on both Twitter and Instagram, you need to follow them there, is at Steelworkers. And Tamara's, <coughs> excuse me, Tamara's Twitter handle is at T Lefkowitz, that's T-L-E-F-C-O-W-I-T-Z. I think we have some uh, static. I'm not in my normal studio today. I'm actually in Washington, D.C., working remotely. Tamara, thank you for joining us and welcome. Can you hear me? I think you said you were having trouble hearing. I, I can hear you. It is, it is pretty staticky, but I'm here. Well, good to have you with us. It is a bit staticky. Uh, we're going to see if we can uh, fix that uh, during uh, the break. Um, uh, thank you for, for joining us. You have a really great resume, great background, a great career. Let's talk about some great people right now. And I'm married to one, and that's a healthcare worker. And I want to talk about healthcare workers because we're not completely out of COVID. We need, may be out of lockdown, but healthcare workers constantly, day in and day out, and certainly never as any other time in our nation's history, have we seen them put their lives on the line even more so than when we were in the midst of one of the greatest pandemics in our lifetimes, and that's COVID. Uh, they made incredible sacrifices, sacrifices to their families, to their communities, obviously to the, themselves and the risks that they put themselves. But, you know, these aren't risks that go away just because we're not in the middle in the midst of that pandemic with COVID-19. Um, you know, right now, what we have seen through COVID and what we see right now, what we see with unions always is solidarity. And using that solidarity, they're using their strength, they're using their know-how to make improvements to their own jobs, improvements that have been badly needed before the pandemic, never was more 
so apparent that during the pandemic, uh, to, to make not only America's healthcare system better, but workplaces better and improved for the American healthcare worker. The healthcare workers put their lives on the line during COVID, but they did before and they still do now. And it's crazy in a sense that we're having this conversation now, especially after the pandemic, but healthcare workers still have to make further improvements to make their work environment safe and safer, along with our healthcare system to be safe and safer, correct? Yes, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, the pandemic, what, what the pandemic did uh, for healthcare workers that was really the only service to them was it lifted the veil. Um, and it really exposed to the public what we have been shouting from the mountaintops for decades uh, in, in labor that, uh, you know, health and safety standards are not taken seriously for healthcare workers. The conversation up until the pandemic had really been primarily focused only on the patient experience. Um, and so the pandemic, um, I would say like, like a phoenix rising from the ashes, uh, healthcare workers have been radicalized. Um, it was it was clear then and it is clear now that we're fending for ourselves. Nobody is coming to the rescue. Um, and we realized pretty pretty early on that we needed to work together or suffer separately. Um, but you know, fighting for health and safety standards is nothing new to the United Steelworkers Union. We've been doing it for a long time in a lot of different uh, sectors. but we've been doing it for healthcare workers actually long before the pandemic hit us. Uh, but now for the first time, the public is listening and it feels like the message is landing. And more than anything, healthcare workers are just pissed off and they're tired of it and they're not going to take it anymore. And they've got the leverage. One of the things that I was very surprised about is something I had read about uh, with the report that came out in 2016. And, and this was a report by the GAO and they found that healthcare workers and, and they have a right to be uh, to be ticked off. Healthcare workers were at least five times more likely to experience violence on the job as workers in other industries. Now, a lot of time we think violence, we think police officers, right? But workplace violence has long been a problem for healthcare workers, and that still exists now. Um, is that correct? Why is that? What is being done about it? That's right, Leslie, and thank you for bringing it up. Uh, the, the most dangerous job in America is being a certified nursing assistant. You can check the stats on that. Uh, the Workplace Violence Prevention for Healthcare and Social Service Workers Act is really, in my opinion, the most minimal level of protection that we should fight for. And I'll tell you what, it's been a hell of a fight even trying to establish this standard at OSHA, which would be a uh, it would provide meaningful protections and compel OSHA to establish an enforceable standard, like the kind of standards that other industries enjoy already and expect in their workplace. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to be working on getting it through our third Congress here now, uh, but we're hopeful because there's been bipartisan support in the past. And, you know, after this past election, we're, we're hopeful that maybe this is the Congress that, that we're going to see uh, support 
healthcare workers trying to protect themselves and establish minimal OSHA protections. Uh, you know, ju- and just amazing again. Um, th- what I'm reading also is that these threats against health healthcare workers are rising. When you talk about you know these nursing assistants, and you know I believe you because I've seen these stats. Why is this? You know, are, uh, you know, because obviously not everybody who walks into an ER or a hospital or a doctor's office, you know, has a drug problem and is, you know, you know, methed out of their mind or something. Why is this happening? And why are these wonderful workers who save lives each and every day? Why are their lives being put at risk? Why are they targets of this violence? Uh, it's, a, it's a complicated answer. Um, but in in my opinion, the the fastest resolution would be to improve staffing. You know, um, our working conditions are your uh, healing conditions as a patient. It directly impacts the patient experience. And uh, as as uh, employers use skeleton crews and siphon off the profits uh, from uh, Medicare, Medicaid and insurance companies to to themselves and their shareholders, that leaves uh, healthcare workers working alone and often exposed in unsafe situations. Um, and frankly, the drain on the system has forced people into uh, health care uh, care situations that really aren't appropriate. Like people that need mental health care that are forced to go into long-term care facilities and really be housed right next to uh, someone recovering from hip surgery. Laura, I want to interrupt you. That music means we're headed into a break. We're going to take a break. After this break, we'll be back with our guest and talk more interesting and educational topic. Don't go away. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Tamara Lefkowitz is our guest international coordinator for the USW Healthcare Workers Council. She provides support to the union's more than 50,000 healthcare workers across the United States and Canada. It's great to have her with us this afternoon. And I'm sorry I had to interrupt her to get to the last break. Uh, Tamara, thank you for uh, for joining us and apologies for the interruption. Please continue what you were saying, but I also want you to speak to legislation, specifically the Workplace Violence Prevention for Healthcare and Social Service Workers Act, and what that would provide and what that would provide uh, to you know protect those healthcare workers because nobody, especially healthcare workers who are you know literally putting their lives on the line on a daily basis, should have with, with diseases uh, like COVID. Uh, should have to have their lives, uh, you know, and be put in jeopardy when, when they're simply going to the job uh, by this violence. That's right. And um, it's it's so this is an important bill because for far too long, healthcare workers have not really had uh, a means to reconcile their violent workplaces. So if you go to work in a mine, and, uh, you know, there are certain standards and expectations that are going to exist in that mine. The same if you work in a paper mill or if you work in a steel mill. And, and of course, those certain expectations exist in, in a hospital or a nursing home. But when it comes to the health and safety of the, of the caregivers and others and support personnel there to, to do the caregiving, uh, they are frequently exposed to dangerous situations, often understaffed. Um, and frankly, because of the high turnover uh, recently, uh, w- which is another complication to the issue, it's often relatively no- younger, newer staff uh, that are working alone as well. And so like this sort of, it's all sort of like an onion <laughs> of complications, right? 
And, um, and so if you go to work in any of these other industrial settings and say there's um, a fire, well, there's a process for investigating that. There are expectations that, that will be set. There are standards to meet. And, you know, there's an expectation that there's going to be a fire exit. There's an expectation that there's going to be a fire extinguisher, right? And that is sort of standard and expected by all of us because we've been conditioned to believe that that's pretty basic uh, health and safety standards. Well, when your working conditions don't necessarily cause a fire and maybe the exposure is that you get choked from behind by a patient having an episode or you get stabbed um, or um, sexually assaulted because you are working alone on a unit uh, that's not well lit and by yourself, right? So it could it could be any number of these things. Um, and healthcare is, you know, overwhelmingly work that is done by women. It's been undervalued and under uh, underrepresented, underserved, uh, really from the beginning. And so I don't want to sound like the sky is falling. I really just want to demonstrate that there is no a single solution here. It's sort of death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, and the pandemic was um, was more like a machete, right? But I'm just, I'm pointing out these complications to, to illustrate that um, part of the solution is setting a standard and an expectation. So in the state of California, one of the ways that they deal with workplace violence in a hospital setting is that if, uh, if any, uh, basically, I'm sorry, if, if a violent episode occurs, there's a requirement for reporting whether or not an injury occurred that would need first aid. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to meet the same threshold as a typical injury that could be reported to OSHA because it's a different kind of industry or injury. It's a different kind of injury. And the reason it's important that this gets reported and tracked is that otherwise these are invisible incidents. Otherwise they get swept under the rug. Otherwise those caregivers are asked after an incident, what could you have done differently? Otherwise there is no sunshine put on the dark corners of this profit making sort of underbelly of, of healthcare where it's easier to gaslight uh, a worker into thinking that their injury was somehow their fault. And somehow they may be um, at risk for for discipline, uh, or may, you know maybe termination, or or potentially even having their license put at risk, uh, because the employers um, want to mitigate their own liability, right, and mitigate the number of injuries that get reported. Well, what's beautiful about the California standard is that everything gets reported, and you know frankly, I'd love to see that rolled out to every you know all fifty states. In the meantime. Sorry for the long explanation, but in the meantime, what we're fighting for is uh, a national standard to be established by OSHA so that there's a plan, so that there's a plan and there's accountability for employers that continually have chronic uh, issues with uh, injuries in the workplace and shrug their shoulders at it uh, because the, the the work is primarily done um, the, you know, in my world, the caregivers, the frontline caregivers tend to be younger. They tend to be women. They tend to be people of color. And 
when we are divided as you know young people and as women, and uh, I'm not a person of color, but it, when, when we get divided by race, it's easier to divide us as workers. And those workers need a voice. Uh, that is why every worker needs a union. That is why we need to establish standards in OSHA, like the Workplace Violence Prevention for Healthcare and Social Service Workers Act. And so it's a complicated answer, but I think, uh, I think the answer starts with safe staffing and it starts with workers organizing with workers to demand um, what they deserve. Most definitely. Um, I want to move from the violence to another workplace hazard, um, in a sense, and that is staffing. I mean, there are not appropriate staffing levels in many areas um, of business in our nation. And, you know, the pandemic just exacerbated this, especially in the healthcare profession. Nursing shortages are a real urgent concern. Can you speak to us how these shortages how turnover uh, affects um, the, you know, this profession and these workers. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, the shortages for a lot of the reasons that I, I just described before, you know, based on what I shared, you know, who's who's like banging down the door of, of nursing schools to line up um, to be put in these situations of working understaffed and being abused sometimes by the public, sometimes by patients, often by your own employer. Um, and that absolutely impacts turnover, which impacts the continuity of care that uh, patients receive. Um, but, but beyond just nurses, you know, healthcare is a heck of a lot more than nurses. And the, uh, the United Steelworkers represents really Wall to wall, uh, we run the gamut of all different kinds of healthcare workers and the support personnel and folks that work in like dietary and laundry and housekeeping services. We're now competing with a lot of other employers for those those workers, right? And again, why would you put yourself in a healthcare setting when you might be able to make more money working at a warehouse? That's a very um, good point. And on that point, that's a very good point. On that point, we're going to take a break. Don't go away, everyone listening. Everyone watching, I know you don't see our beautiful faces, just our beautiful pictures and still shots today. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back with you shortly after this on this special, thank God it's Friday edition of the Leslie Marshall Show. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk. More than a pleasure to continue our conversation with the international coordinator for the USW Healthcare Workers Council, Tamara Lefkowitz. Tamara is providing support to the nations, to the unions, excuse me, USW's more than 50,000 healthcare workers across the US and Canada. And I want you to check out their website, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Handles the same on both, at Steelworkers. And follow Tamara on Twitter at T Lefkowitz. That's T-L-E-F-C-O-W-I-T-Z. Tamara, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Uh, lots to talk about. Um, we talk about healthcare workers certainly being put at risk with violence. We talk about healthcare workers being put at risk when there are shortages 
and you know people not as many people in the field nursing shortages are just you know one example of that um but when we look at all of these you know problems uh ppe uh exposure uh and and you know lack of guidance from osha on infectious diseases more than 3600 healthcare workers died in the first year of the pandemic alone and more than half are still reporting symptoms of burnout and who wouldn't when you have such real and urgent concerns as shortages uh, in these fields, when you don't have appropriate staffing levels, nursing's just uh, one example. So this puts healthcare workers at risk, but it also puts the patients that these healthcare workers take care of, they, they care for, at risk. And then I guess you could say it puts all of us, our, our entire community, uh, at risk. We talked about workers taking matters uh, into their own hands. And one thing I want you to talk about is organizing, because organizing, organizing is a way to do that. I think a lot of people are saying, hey, folks, you know, at Twitter, if you had a union, we wouldn't be going through this right now, Elon Musk or not. Uh, but let's talk about the organizing that healthcare workers are doing, taking matters into their own hands to improve or even get rid of some of these problems uh, that are causing hazardous working conditions for them. Yeah, well, Leslie, uh, healthcare workers are fired up. And uh, if they don't have a union, I think that in many workplaces, they are considering it or talking to their coworkers about getting a union, organizing a union. Um, and actually in uh, Pittsburgh, the hometown of the United Steelworkers headquarters, uh, actually a group of about 500 county uh, caregivers from the county nursing home unanimously voted last year to organize with our union for these very reasons, issues over pay, over uh, staffing, <clears throat> over um, you know, uh, high turnover issues and uh, issues with recruitment and retention. And so, uh, you know, really, if, if I was a healthcare employer, I would see this as an opportunity. Um, the union can be a partner in recruitment and retention. I know that, you know, in a union workplace, they're more likely to have higher wages, uh, better benefits. And at the end of the day, that actually creates a better patient experience as well uh, for continuity of care purposes. But beyond that, just as a society, um, you know, uh, it's it's sort of we're sort of part of the larger wave of of the general public pushing back, fighting back against corporate greed. Um, and I just want to mention that, you know, for decades, politicians have talked about infrastructure investments. And that doesn't just mean roads and bridges. You know, as a society, we watched our healthcare system really unravel during the pandemic. And because uh, we have this sort of quasi-public, quasi-private uh, healthcare system that, um, that's really being manipulated to generate profit rather than reinvestment into itself, uh, it really exposed um, the need for people to take it upon themselves to push back. If we just leave it up to the corporations, the money gets siphoned off to shareholders or they might label themselves a nonprofit and, you know, uh, <laughs> play some other weird uh, Russian nesting doll shell game with companies to hide their profits. Uh, but 
I, I don't want to get too far off track, but I just, I, I want to mention, I think these are intertwined issues, right? Mm-hmm. People are being activated um, and people have been really radicalized by this experience during the pandemic. And that's not just limited to healthcare workers. Yeah, most, most definitely. Um, but it's such, it's such a big and important field, you know, with, you know, without question. Um, you know, so much to talk about. Research, AFL-CIO showed that 71% of healthcare workers would join a union if they had the chance. And late last year, roughly 500 Pittsburgh area healthcare workers voted unanimously to join the USW for a voice on the job. Uh, you know, you, you talk about winning, right? Unionized healthcare workers are also winning good contracts. And in those contracts, that's where you get those protections because unions like the USW stand in the gap between those huge corporations that are about profit and greed and not caring about the worker and their health and their safety, you know, on the job and not looking up as people go home to families and a part of the community. And, and that's and that's where the union does. So I would imagine, especially after the pandemic, these numbers don't surprise you, do they? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Those workers are fed up everywhere. You know, I think I think Americans are fed up, um, you know, with, but but I'll just let me let me back up there uh, about those 500 workers that voted unanimously to join the USW. I'm actually proud to announce that they got a tentative agreement just a couple of weeks ago and are will be voting in the coming days to win their very first contract. Um, and I'm also proud to say that their employer approached them asking for concessions and we didn't codify a single one of them. Um, and that sort of illustrates what I'm 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 trying to dem- to share here, like why workers are organizing, because when you're on your own, uh, there's nobody to have your back and negotiate for better standards. But when you work together in a concerted effort, you can work to improve the standards. And another good example of that is, you know, recently uh, a little experiment that I've undertaken. Uh, when when out working on trying to uh, win win contracts and negotiate, is we actually uh, put in sort of this pilot program of health and safety training. It's healthcare workers training other healthcare workers, and this may not sound like organizing to you, but when you train healthcare workers to, you know, we joke that uh, we turn our grievance reps into Johnny Cochran for the four corners of your contract. And, you know, we can make you a jailhouse lawyer in no time to make sure that you can, you know, sort of hold the line and and defend uh, the rights and protections that we've negotiated and fought for over the years. But that that uh, that that sort of standard is really dropped in the healthcare sector. And I'm not saying that as a criticism of my union or of uh, any like of, of healthcare workers. It's more part of the culture, part of the culture that has been allowed to fester in this sector is one of making workers feel that they're on their own. The liability is on their license. They are unprotected rather than feeling like they are part of an organization that understands their needs, wants to staff appropriately, protect the education and certifications or licenses that they fought for and make sure that they can deliver high quality care and go home in the same condition they came to work in. That's what unions do. And that's why workers are organizing. 
We deployed this program at a hospital that we were negotiating uh, in uh, Central California. I don't necessarily want to name. And we rolled out an electronic reporting system for health and safety issues. I am proud to share that uh, that was out for about a week and we had several dozen complaints roll in because the members shared this reporting system with one another on their cell phones. So we were able to walk into negotiations with a stack of photos collected by members sharing unsafe conditions in their workplace. And by taking that action, they were able to uh, reverse the unsafe conditions and establish a health and safety committee and also make some significant gains at the, con at the bargaining table because they used the power of their own cell phones and coming together and the leverage that OSHA protections can provide when you know utilized properly, when, when given, uh, in order to hold the line and really more than that, make gains. You know what? We're going to take a quick break and I want to talk about some of those gains. We have another segment coming up. I'm looking forward to it. I know all of you are as well. Our guest is Tamara Lefkowitz. She's International Coordinator for the USW Healthcare Workers Council. We'll be back with her. We'll be back with you right after this. Check out the website in the meantime for the USW, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter. Follow them on Instagram. Handles the same at both, at Steelworkers. And Tamara's Twitter handle, follow her as well, is at T Lefkowitz, T L E F E, whoops, sorry, T L E F C O W I T Z. That's T L E F C O W I T Z. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with Tamara and you right after this. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hey there, I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Final segment here on the Leslie Marshall Show on this Friday. Our guest is Tamara Lefkowitz, International Coordinator for the USW Healthcare Workers Council. Check out the USW website, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Same handle, at Steelworkers. And Tamara's Twitter handle is at T Lefkowitz, T-L-E-F-C-O-W-I-T-C. Tamara, thank you for holding and welcome back. Um, I want to talk about something that kind of ties together everything we've been talking about for the majority of this uh, hour. And, you know, organization, contracts, unions, and how things can change for the healthcare worker and certainly the healthcare industry when you have a union like the USW protecting you, watching and having your back. There were members of the USW, my understanding is, uh, recently uh, at a healthcare facility, we don't have to you know, say the name, that ratified a contract that includes hard-fought workplace violence language. Can you tell us what that means and why this is, well, obviously not just a victory for the healthcare workers, but, you know, and the USW, but why this may be different and what it could mean going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm I'm proud to share the name of that facility. It's Copper Country Mental Health in Michigan. They actually just ratified a contract um, this week on Monday um, that includes uh, basically a procedure for developing timely and effective responses 
when uh, the clients that they service in a mental health capacity act out or could become violent, uh, which you know we hope will will continue to create a safer environment for both the workers and the residents in this uh, group home. And uh, you know that's sort of the the power of the union really demonstrated right there. Uh, that language was pursued by local, you know, some leaders that uh, were elected by their coworkers locally. And that's what being in a union is all about. It's, it's not a union boss somewhere in Washington, DC or Pittsburgh that makes some, some decision. It's about the needs in the workplace being met by the workers and being given the tools that they need to advocate for that. And in this case, you know, it's a stressful job um, uh, providing frontline care uh, in, in a mental health capacity for, for anyone. And then when you add violence into the mix, they use this as an opportunity to sit down with their employer and talk about solutions. You know, the union is more than just a driver of uh, work stoppages and strikes and unfair labor practice charges. We also advocate for legislative change. We also advocate for, for change in our own communities, in our own work, workplaces, in our own neighborhoods. And this is, is, I think, a really perfect example of that, that it happens uh, from the ground up. Yeah, mo- most definitely. I'm glad you mentioned Copper County Mental Health in Houghton, Michigan. I didn't want to say, uh, <laughs> unless, unless it was okay uh, to say. Um, so let's talk about some other areas. Let's talk about some uh, successes for nurses. Uh, there were three different hospitals, Stewart Healthcare Hospitals in the state of Florida, um, they achieve protections from unsafe scheduling and the creation of an infectious disease task force and their new argument. Um, let, let's talk, what's, what's unsafe scheduling? I think I have an idea about that. And, uh, and talk to us about, I know OSHA didn't have standards in place specifically uh, with regard to infectious diseases, which uh, COVID is one of. Um, but, you know, why that creation of an infectious disease task force is so necessary. And again, when you have this happening for these nurses at these three Florida hospitals, it can it, it can become a, you know, like a domino effect going forward in other, uh, you know, uh, I would imagine in other, you know, bargaining uh, discussions and contracts. Exactly. So, so uh, yeah, so nurses in Florida, I think they're with the Nash, National Nurses United, they actually uh, were able to achieve, uh, it looks like a resolution process for their staffing disputes, and they are allowed to have 12-hour shifts optional um, and protections against what it looks like unsafe floating. So there's, there's a lot of things that we could unwrap, and uh, those are significant wins, and I congratulate NNU for that. Um, uh, that that's, that's wonderful. Uh, and in Pennsylvania, so like, just as, as a spin on this, um, in Pennsylvania, uh, one of the ways that uh, workers were able to sort of mitigate the impact of unsafe scheduling was that they fought to, pra- to pass the Prohibition of Excessive Overtime and Healthcare Act. It's Act uh, 102. So in Pennsylvania, what that basically means is it's a ban on mandatory overtime for frontline caregivers in, in the majority of caregiving situations. And that means that, uh, so for instance, it, it's it's pretty um, uh, it's pretty chronic. I would say it's a chronic issue in in the healthcare industry that 
uh, schedules are frequently posted with holes in them. And what that means is uh, maybe there's nobody available. And so it remains an open position that somebody could maybe sign up for and pick up on overtime, or they may have to call in uh, what some people may understand are known as like travelers or agency workers to come in and uh, somebody who has the qualifications because they have the license, but maybe they're not familiar with that workplace, right? So as NNU fought for, for protections against unsafe floating, I mean, they're trying to prevent them their nurses from being floated to different floors they're not familiar with, with different uh, you know levels of acuity uh, based on the level of training or experience of, of, of the nurse. Um, imagine that on a larger scale, which is rampant through the industry where it, you're not being floated from floor to floor, you're being floated from employer to employer. That's what agency workers are. That's what travelers are, right? And so like what, when we try to put these protections in place in our own contracts to, to uh, try to enforce continuity of care, like that's the level to which we're, we're fighting against this. Um, uh, but to sort of bring me back to the, the ban on mandatory overtime in Pennsylvania, I don't mean to shoot off on too many tangents, but there, there's more than one way to skin this cat, right? We can fight for protections in your uh, collective bargaining agreement as a union, um, and well, or, or help you to fight for those protections as a union, but also we can leverage uh, our power as voters and as citizens to hold our uh, elected officials accountable. And in Pennsylvania, that's what we did. And we passed Act 102, the ban on mandatory overtime. And so essentially when schedules are posted with holes in, in them, as I described earlier, or you might get a couple of call-offs on a shift, you know, in, in any other state that doesn't ban that, whoever's on the next, uh, or whoever's working at that time might just get forced. They might just be forced to remain on shift. Um, and work through to the next shift for four hours or maybe eight hours, maybe more. Uh, this, this can at times be illegal. At, at all the time, it is dangerous. And, you know, studies have shown after a certain number of hours that, you know, you're really playing a game with fatigue beyond the danger that it could be providing care when you're too tired and understaffed. Uh, beyond the exposures that I just mentioned with workplace violence with being alone and understaffed. Um, and, you know, making mistakes at work or just being exposed to violence. How about when you leave and drive home after your shift? I bet you want to survive that car ride or be able to be conscious to enjoy your kids or your family or just, I don't know, exist and have a life. Like in labor, we call it bread and roses. And I know I sound like kind of sarcastic and whatever, but uh, it just... Um, the healthcare is made up of mission-driven people, mission-driven people that do this work because they love it, because they care about people, and they're they're driven to um, to serve. But that doesn't mean that um, we can do them a disservice by not offering them protections, by not paying them appropriately, by not making sure that these are family-sustaining, community-sustaining jobs. These people are our infrastructure. Healthcare workers are the social infrastructure that holds America together. I mean, it's a national security issue, but maybe I sound extreme whenever I say that. Um, but that's how real it is to me. Um, 
I like another phrase, it's called economic patriotism. And when I, I like, it all comes down to money and are we gonna invest in these workplaces and staff these appropriately? I hope we get to a place where we legislate that it would be illegal not to. That, that's, I love, I'm going to leave it right there because I love uh, what you just said. And that's a great phrase that you coined. <laughs> I want to oh, thank I stole you. I it from Ropana. <laughs> well, you did. I love him. I saw him a few weeks ago in New York. Um, I want to thank you for being with us. Time just flies. I learned a lot from you today. Thank you for being so comprehensive and um, really uh, for painting a picture with your words of the situation for healthcare workers and how the USW and unions are really standing in the gap for all of those in this field. Tamara Lefkowitz, International Coordinator for the USW Healthcare Workers Council. Please follow her on Twitter at T Lefkowitz, T-L-E-F-C-O-W-I-T-Z. USW, check out the website, USW.org. And on Twitter and Instagram, the handle's the same. Please follow them. You should, at Steelworkers. I'm Leslie Marshall. Marky Mark Maldi's our executive producer. Have a wonderful weekend and a wonderful Thanksgiving.